0: Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 16. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens, In order to fill the whole universe. So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip His people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants as each part does its work. This is God's word.
1: Evening. Uh, Let me have my welcome. My name's Matt Fuller. Let's pray for ourselves as we come and study this together. Our great God and Father, we thank you that you speak. And as we open your word here, as we've heard it read... Father, here is a beautiful little passage on how we can operate as church. It's a lovely picture. It's a delight. And uh, we pray that we would be this sort of church, moving towards maturity. So even now, Father, be at work amongst us, moving us that way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, to to make a very obvious observation, Team Unity matters. You've got to have it uh, in any team. Uh, Before the World Cup in the summer, um, read uh, it's actually a slightly sad interview, probably in many ways, uh, with Rio Ferdinand. There's good and bad stuff in it, but uh, he's talking about when he was uh, playing for England, part of the golden generation, uh, lots of very talented footballers, and the football World Cups of two thousand and six and twenty ten, and the best sort of group of footballers we've had for quite a while. But they did nothing; they were rubbish. Uh, in, in terms of performance, and uh, he was saying, well, a large part of it was we just didn't like one another. Uh, Man U players and Liverpool players and Chelsea players, they just couldn't put aside their um, rivalries from uh, Premier League, Premiership football, and um, they just didn't get on very well. And that's sort of on the pitch, therefore, they didn't play very well. Uh, and they're also talking about the, the enormous pressure that they felt pressure from the fans to uh, perform something this golden generation and some will remember in 2010 when Rudy got into trouble for swearing at the camera, England had played very badly they were booed off the pitch and um, he let rip with a few expletives uh, about the loyalty of England fans, but basically it was rubbish it was rubbish, uh, they just couldn't work together and therefore they were less than the sum of all their parts of course by contrast uh, and in the summer just gone um, no one expected England to do anything. I mean, pretty mediocre uh, bunch of players. And yet, and yet, and yet, um, they operated pretty well. Gouth Southgate saying, no pressure. I tell you what, I could never be more hated than I was when I missed a penalty in the semi-final uh, against, against Germany. So any mistakes I make, they're gonna be, nothing's going to be as bad as that. Uh, fellas, just go out and uh, work together. And, well, when you have team unity, you can do pretty well. Uh, you know, just not overstate it. But it um, is England, after all, you did pretty well. You did pretty well with a bit of unity. I mean, it's very obvious. But Ephesians 4 said that there are plenty of unities, plenty of um, parallels with the church. You, you need to know that the crowd is for you. No, it's not right. You need to know that the living God is for you. He's not looking on with the potential to boo how you do. He loves you because of Jesus Christ. You can't lose that. You can't lose his affection. You can't lose his approval for how you perform. But if a church works effectively together, it can achieve vastly more than the sum of its parts. And Ephesians 4 is Paul calling us to do just that, to reach maturity. I mean, no football team ever wins really if half the players, a number of the players are just sort of sat on the pitch watching the others. Oh, you're good. I like you. Go for it. Um, that never works. And church can't work if there are a number just sat. going, oh, I like it here, which is nice, but not actively involved. Not playing for the team. We'll, we'll never be all that we could be as a church, will never reach the maturity, the unity that Jesus aspires for us, longs for us to have. It is impossible for this church or any church to be all that we could be unless everyone plays their part. That's what he's going to say here. That's how he tops and tails this passage, verse 7, to each one of us, grace or a gift of grace has been given, each one. Verse 16. From Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It is impossible for us to be all that we can be as a church unless everyone plays their part. Now, there is lots which I love about CCM and and this congregation. But I wonder if everyone does play their part. I mean, there's lots, which is great. But I think Ephesians 4 would say, we can be more. It can be better. It can be more wonderful, more united, more unified, more encouraging, more effective than we are at the moment. If everyone plays their part. So this is enormously encouraging. There's much more to come. There's much more that Jesus can do with us as a church family. So here we are then in the book of Ephesians. This is a very uh, important passage in the book, uh, important in the flow. We've been saying then uh, all our way in the study of this letter, um, Ephesians, more perhaps more clearly than anything else, reveals God's master plan for the whole of history. Chapter 1, verse 10, God is uniting all things under the rule of Jesus Christ. That's His plan, bringing unity from every tribe, tongue, and nation across the world. The church right now, at this moment in history, is the revelation of that. It's the prototype. It's the show home of what God is doing in the whole of human history. Chapter 3, verse 10 would say the church reveals God's glory in uniting all things. Uh, Very broadly then, chapters 1 to 3, they describe what God has done. Chapters 4 to 6, how we are to respond but unity, very, very big thing. You, if you were here last time, we were told that we need to keep the unity. Chapter 4, verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity. We're going to be told tonight, chapter 4, verse 13, that we still need to reach unity. So God has produced unity amongst lots of different groups of people, like you and me, and we must maintain it. And yet at the same time, we still have to fully attain it. We're not there yet. When everyone plays their part, the building metaphor, which is the church, well, only then can it be fully constructed. How are we going to grow to mature unity? How are we going to be all that we can be as a church? Everyone needs to play their part. Everyone needs to use their gifts to serve. Let's look at it this way. Um, Sorry, there's nothing on the sheets uh, for those who love to make notes, but uh, we can look at it like this. Uh, Christ gave gifts to each one of us. Verses seven to ten. Christ gave gifts to each one of us. Then, secondly, Christ gave shepherds to equip His people. Eleven to fifteen. And then the conclusion: Look, we'll grow as every part does its work. Verse sixteen. So, Christ gave gifts to each one of us. Christ gave shepherds to equip His people, and we'll grow as every part. Does its work. Let's go ahead. It. First then Christ gave gifts to each one of us. Verses 7 to 10. Let me read again. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens. In order to fill the whole universe. Okay, let me ask some questions to just to tease out what's going on here. Uh, some of them are more obvious than others. Um, who has been given a gift of grace? Answer each one. Every believer has been given a gift of grace in order to serve. That's obvious. Who decided who gets what gift? Again, quite straightforward. Verse 7, Christ has apportioned the gifts. He decided. So every single believer has been given gifts to serve the church. Jesus decided who would get what. Third little question, perhaps a little harder, uh, I think the is: should I trust Jesus? That's the bulk of verses eight to ten. Answer, sorry, yes. <laughs> Just in case of doubt, yes. Because of his victory, he reigns over everything. That's what Paul is arguing here. You see in these verses, verses 7 ten, actually the focus is upon Jesus, actually, more, more than upon us. Paul takes Psalm 68, that's what he's quoting in verse 8. Uh, Psalm 68 in the Old Testament, originally about the, the Lord being victorious and uh, uh, leading a, a victory parade to Mount Zion, that's what it's about. Uh, Paul applies that to Jesus here. When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Well, It's a familiar theme in the book of Ephesians. We've had it twice in length already, end of chapter 1 into chapter 2, that Jesus is victorious over everything and therefore he rules over all powers that may oppose him, over every heavenly power and authority slightly novel thing here is that Paul says he he reigns over everything which is in the heavenly realms. Uh, And also, if you're a Greek and therefore like your Greek myths and and believe in the underworld, he rules over everything in the underworld as well. That's the point that's being made here. So uh, verse 9, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions, underworld. Why is all this? Verse 10, He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens. So Jesus rules over everything above, everything below. He did all this in order to fill the whole universe. Don't think spatially. It's not that there's an inflatable Jesus that is slowly filling up everything. But just he reigns over all in that sense. The point is, in simple terms, Jesus is ruler over everything. There's no one who can oppose him. The Point here then in, in verse ten is that Jesus rules over everything. That's the point of the filling, over all. Now, in simple terms, then he has the right to give whatever gifts he wants, and he has the power to strengthen everyone with everything that they need in using those gifts. He wants us. He rules over all. You might want to compare it. What's it as his Darth comparison? but you compare it to something like uh, a Pep Guardiola. mean oh, it's a daft comparison. But it seems to me at the moment he's pretty brilliant. Uh, he was brilliant at Bayern Munich, and they won everything pretty much. And he was brilliant at Barcelona, and they won everything pretty much. And now he's brilliant at Man City, and they're winning everything, and the clubs he's left aren't doing so well anymore. He's kind of the best there is at the moment. He's good at spotting talent, and he's good at putting people in the team. But he's not omnipotent. He doesn't see the future Jesus is you what know, the manager of the universe who looks upon all people and says, I can see the potential in everyone. I can see how this person will use this gift. I see it all, and I allocate the gifts. It's extraordinary. So Christ gave gifts to each one of us. Now let me just Mention some mistakes that we can make in this sort of regard, three little mistakes. Uh, neglect, envy, or grandstanding. First one might be this, gift, neglect. So the point here is that every single member of a church has been given at least one gift in order to serve the wider body. Where the, the line between natural abilities and supernatural gifts begins and ends, I'm not sure is very clear. I'm not sure we're told in detail. But everyone's got at least one gift, and many people, lots and lots of gifts in order to serve the church. Don't neglect them. The the gifts that God gives us are not toys for us to play with. They're tools to build the church. That's why we've got them. So don't neglect the gifts that you have, which are given to you to serve other people. Don't sit here each week and think, well, I tell you what, everything seems to run all right here. Uh, not much, sure much what I could offer. Don't do that. There is, you're needed. You're absolutely. Don't sit here for what? For example, don't sit here and think, well, I, I can play the piano a little bit, but they seem to have that covered, the musicians. So, um, well, just stay quiet about that. Don't do that. What do you know? There may well be a shortage of pianists. There may be one of the pianists about to collapse because they're overworked and, and, and play every week. You don't know that. Just offer yourself. You don't know. What is it you may play? I mean, every Sunday morning, most Sunday morning, you go to a drummer who's 13 years old. You know, he's all right, but you can do better than that. Some I'm sure somewhere. you know. You can hit in hitting rhythm, go for it. Um, don't think, oh, it's all fine, it's all fine. Not needed, not needed. Um, all sorts of things you could offer. Just don't sit here and think, oh, I'm not needed. Gift neglect, that's one mistake. Uh, gift envy, slightly different. Uh, I, I wish I could, whatever it may be, bake like him, talk to people like uh, about Jesus like her, uh, welcome, do hospitality like them. D- don't envy the gifts that other people have got. We're told here, Jesus... Jesus has apportioned gifts to everyone. So don't they? oh, I wish I had that. No, no, he says, when you meet me face to face, you'll understand. I had to give you this. You needed to have this, not what they had. So don't envy the gifts that others have got. God has got useful things for you to do. Uh, gift neglect, gift envy. Uh, the last one, not very common, uh, gift grandstanding. Gifts are given for service it's no good turning up and saying, here I am. Here I am. I have arrived. The gift you need. No, no one has ever been quite that crass, uh, just to be clear upon that. Um, no one has ever co- turned up and said, I have arrived at CCM and I have the gift of leadership. Behold. Um, no one has ever done that happily. I, I might Rod, to reply, well, wow, that's lovely. Actually, as a church, we're not short of opinions, Um, and we like that, uh, but we like servant-hearted people as well, people who want to serve with the gifts that they've got, not demand that their gifts are made good use of. Servant leaders, that's the sort of leaders that are great to have around, and um, welcome, you are welcome. There are always chairs that need moving. There are always people who need visiting. There's always things to do. So just avoid those. There'll be obvious things to avoid. Gift neglect, gift envy, gift grandstanding. Now, look, Christ has given gifts to every one of us. They're not for us. They're not our toys to play with. They're tools to build the church family. That's the first thing. Secondly, then, uh, Christ gave shepherds to equip his people, uh, the middle section then, 11 to 15. Christ gave shepherds to equip his people. Here then, Paul moves away from uh, uh, the gifts that every single person has, and he focuses on a few different groups in verse 11. So Christ gave himself, let me read, Christ gave, excuse me, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Five different groups of people, perhaps. But what they all have in common is they're all handlers of God's word in one way or another. And Christ has given all these gifts, verse 12, come back to this, to equip his people for works of service. Now, it's hard to get this in the right place, uh, but there's a sense in which the the handling of God's word, Bible teaching, it's the um, it's the heart of church life because it equips other things. That is not to say it's the most important thing. If you I googled what is the most important part of the body, uh, and everyone says. Yeah, that's a very silly question to ask. Is uh, is in the in, end in what they come up with? I guess if you had to have one, you'd have the brain. That's Jesus. He's the he's the head. So it's not that the the heart is the most important part, but because um, you can have a perfectly good heart, but if you've got no lungs, well, you die. You can have a perfectly functioning heart, but if you have no stomach to absorb food, eventually, I guess, you die. You can have a perfectly functioning heart, but if you have no bones, you. You look Like dab of the heart, I don't know. Um, uh, but presumably you can't live if you haven't got a single bone in your body. So it's not that it's the most important part, but it has a central function in pumping blood around the rest of the body. These um, these different groups. Then you can't be cult, uh, excuse me. You can't be dogmatic on these five groups that are listed in uh, verse eleven. I don't think the New Testament is. sort of 100% crystal clear on where the divisions lie between them. Let me make a few comments briefly. Verse 11, Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets. Well, in Ephesians, Paul's already mentioned them together. If you just look across chapter 2 and verse 20, the church is, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. So in Ephesians' sort of thinking, apostles and prophets have a foundational role in the first century upon which everything else is built. So in this sense, there are no apostles like the Twelve or Paul. And I think in this sense, there are no prophets who speak directly from the Lord around today. Now, look, tangent, tangent. The New Testament does in a small number of cases use the word apostles and indeed prophets for slightly different groups. There's a side issue, you can ask me about that another time if you want. But here, I think he's talking about apostles and prophets as the foundation of the church. And now, well, we have a finished word of God in the Scriptures, the New Testament complete as a foundation. These other groups, you've got evangelists. Well, again, slightly hard to pin them down, exactly who they are. They're only twice listed in the New Testament. Philip is an evangelist, according to Acts 21. Timothy is an evangelist in 2 Timothy 4. Clearly, every Christian believer has a responsibility to speak to others about Jesus, but there are some who apparently have a a particular role in that. They are particularly gifted at explaining uh, uh, the good news of Jesus Christ and encouraging others. To do the same, the last two pastors, teachers. Uh, there's only one article governing them both, so I think you know you could translate them pastor, teachers. Uh, I think it's possibly uh, one just grouped there. The issue is in verse eleven. All of these five, they're all handling the word of God. That's what they're doing. Now let's look at why they do that. Verse twelve. So Christ has given all these handlers of the word of God. Verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Let's take those bits in in turn. First, to equip his people, to equip or prepare. It has a twofold sense in the New Testament, this word, to equip. So, for example, uh, uh, when Jesus meets James and John, Luke 5, they are equipping or repairing their nets so there's a sense of repairing uh, and then uh, in the following chapter luke 6 jesus will talk about teachers equip or train their students so when paul says that the, the, the word of god rightly handled will equip god's people it's both a, a repair like a doctor would do repair and a both train like a sports coach would do. In those two senses, the the word of God, rightly explained, rightly taught, rightly impressed into people's lives, it heals us, it restores us more into the image of Jesus, and it trains us, equips us, gives us the knowledge, the skill base we need in order to serve. Those two, two senses come together in this word of equipping. Why are we equipped? We're equipped for works of service. Verse 12, we're healed and trained by the word of God to be better equipped to serve others. Why is that? Verse 12, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach, well, let's come to that in a moment. But you see here, building the body, it does take every part. Every part of the body has got to be involved. Heart, lungs, spleen, veins, arteries, nails, whatever. You know, I've lost. That's it. I'm done. Um, every part has got to be involved. Now, the destination of all this building comes in verse 13. So the body of Christ is built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I think those are all synonymous phrases. Unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God is the same as becoming mature. Is the same as attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Becoming as much like him as we can. In other words, a mature church has unity in the truth. An immature church, well you can gather a room of 200 people, but they may all believe different things. That's useless. That's immaturity. You only get a mature church where there is unity in the knowledge and love of Christ. Gathering together, we're not really talking about what matters. Not really talking about what's true. You can never be mature in that sense. And see how he really pushes that as an idea. So verse 14, here's a mature church. Again, three little pictures, no longer like infants, Uh, no longer tossed back and forth by the waves, no longer blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. That's a mature church, stable. By contrast, I guess an immature church doesn't listen to the word of God, is not equipped for works of service, the body is not built up, and it's going to be easily deceived. But well, what we're meant to do, verse 15, is speak the truth in love. That's not random. That's not uh, about anything in particular. That's not, um, uh, oh, I need to lovingly tell you that your breath smells. I need to lovingly tell you that that shirt doesn't fit you. But speaking the truth of this truth, the the, the truth in contrast to shallow or deceitful teaching, that's what the, that's the truth that we need. Let me try and ground this. Uh, I became a Christian at university, um, and um, my, none of my family are Christians uh, growing up, so when I came back and uh, met up with my family, I also met uh, some my parents' friends that i I, I known for a while, um, Roger and Liz. I don't know what their names are really, but anyway, they're, they're family friends, and um, they'd heard, you know, your son's become a Christian. Anyway, I saw Roger and Liz, and they said, oh, so you, you've become a Christian, is that right? Yeah. Oh, that's really nice. Uh, because we're Christians. That's lovely. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, none of our none of our two children, neither of our two children are Christians, which is a bit of a shame. And you say, oh, I've just become a Christian. I think it's more than a shame. Surely, surely, as parents, I'm not sure what more you could long for. It's the most important thing. Uh, and then chatting to Roger and Liz, you think, oh, you... You're quite happy to talk about cheating on your tax forms you're quite happy to talk about going out and getting hammered and falling down the stairs and oh you're funny sort of Christians I'm not sure you are Christians I didn't say that um, uh, but I thought to myself, well they're just sort of cultural Christians I guess they 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 have the label but they you know, certainly, in no sense, care about the things that I think a Christian should care about. There's, there's no honesty. There's no commensurate lifestyle with being a Christian. Oh. You chatted a bit more to, to Roger and Liz, and it said, "Well, it's actually we hate our church." Well, again, that's not normal for Christians to hate their churches. That's not normal. Um, but the, uh, and uh, we've been there twenty years, and it's just sort of moved and, and, and drifted further away from what we like. And oh, okay. It's, it's these funny conversations. I think I'm not really, not really sure you're Christians. About six months later, they moved churches to one where the Bible is taught. And all of a sudden, <laughs> they completely came to life. Were active in street evangelism, which is pretty out there. You know, not everyone wants to do that. You know, that's great. Um, They're involved financially in giving. The, you know, I found out via their kids that they were a bit annoyed. The kids that their parents were now giving vast sums of money to the church. Um, we're involved in the accounts, or are involved in catering for all sorts of things, flower arranging, feel free, that's a gift we're a bit short of, um, uh, if you like such things. Uh, all of a sudden, and you think, okay, now I understand. You were Christians, you've been Christians since your teenage years, both of you, but 20 years in a church where there was no word of God being taught, and you were not equipped to do anything. And it made me quite angry. And it made them a bit angry, you know, really from the age of their mid, well, uh, uh, late 20s to, their, to about the age of 50. They were useless in their church. I mean, it's a bit blunt, but they would say that. They did nothing much of great use in their church because they weren't equipped. No one was teaching them the Bible so that they are equipped for works of service, so that they could help the body of Christ mature. And so what a loss for them, for both of them. And what a loss for the whole church. I mean, they're both very able people, loads of gifts. But they didn't get to serve, and the church was robbed of their talents. Because no one equipped them. And that's what Paul is talking about here in, in Ephesians 4. You need evangelists, pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets to equip the saints for works of service. Look, when that happens. Well, will grow as every part does its work, verse 16. Let's finish here, verse 16. From him, from Jesus, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. From him, from Jesus, he's the head, wonderful. He's directing everything, fantastic. So we need him, obviously, but then the body grows, we're told, as each part does its work. The body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. That's, um, that's quite a sort of precise translation. The word is, is literally bit. Uh, every joining bit. I don't think you need to be a ligament to join stuff together in the body. I mean, lots of bits of the body joined. I think, he's, again, he's just saying, as every part There's another way of saying it. So verse 16, the whole body joined and held together by every bit, every person, grows and builds itself up in love. You know this, the body is an extraordinary thing. The human body is an extraordinary thing. As I checked earlier again, 200 bones, 650 skeletal muscles, 210 cell types. Extraordinary, every part is needed. And of course it's easy to think, "Well, wow, that bit of the body, not that important. Oh, yeah, until, you, until it malfunctions, I've never really cared a huge amount or focused in particular. I've never, in, I have not once in my life prayed this prayer Lord, I thank you for my left Achilles tendon. And yet now I've knackered it, and I can't run, and walking is painful, uh, and any exercise is painful. I can just about swim. Um, which, apologies to swimmers, I think that's a dull thing to do. But that's all I can basically uh, do at the moment. And now, now all of a sudden, my left Achilles tendon, I think, is a very important bit of the body. Because without it, I am, confession, a little bit grumpy. Uh, A little bit deprived of exercise and therefore irritable Staff More irritable, brackets, uh, than... that I might normally be. I've never given thanks for it, but now now it's malfunctioned. I think, oh, I love that bit of my body. I want it back now, please. Every bit's needed. The human body is an extraordinary thing. The church is an extraordinary thing. And we can't be all that we should be unless every part is involved. I'd so say again, I've I got no particular anxieties or irritations or bugs, bugbears in my uh, head. I love so much about this church family. My assumption is, though, we could be more. <laughs> we could be greater. We could be better if people use their gifts to build the church. Now, those of Tender there are some here who just do 100 things a week. I'm not talking to you. <laughs> you need to do less, and others need to pick up the slack, probably. Let me just leave you with these questions. Can I leave you with three questions? Um, Perhaps to chat about with people afterwards. Three little questions. The first is, are you playing your part? You might want to ask a friend if, if you're a bit uncertain about that. Are you playing your part? Because we'll never be as good a church as we could be if you're not. Second little question: What gifts do I have? That's for you to ask. What gifts do you have? If you're uncertain, again, ask a friend. Ask someone who knows you. Third little question: What gifts, in particular, are required at church? There are always gaps. At the moment, you know, there's sickness. The office is creaking. Um, I, I don't want to be rude about staff in the office. It's not physically creaking. But, um, you know, God, trying to get weekends away together. Oh, it's chaos. You don't, don't wait to be asked. You could offer, look, I've got a bit of time. I'm not really doing much. Can you suggest something? Oh, yeah. Okay. Three little questions. Am I playing my part? What gifts do I have? What gifts are required? Because here's a lovely picture of a church growing to full unity, complete maturity, established, not blown about, not blown about by life, not blown about by false teaching, useful. And if you think, oh, it's, it's another thing to do, please don't think in those terms. Actually, serving in church, it's just a joy. God has given you gifts to serve others. If you're not doing that, you're really missing out on what God is wanting you to do. It gives you a stake in what church is about. It is a joy. Everyone needs to play their part for us to be the church God wants us to be. Let me lead us in prayer. Our great God and Father, we thank you and praise you that this is how you've established your church, that the risen, victorious, magnificent Lord Jesus who rules over everything has said, I'm going to all that my church needs. I'm going to scatter it amongst hundreds of different people, thousands of different people, millions of different people across the globe. No one person can do everything. I'm going to set it up this way so that they need one another. It's a lovely picture. Father, would we be a church where we're equipped by the teaching of your word to serve one another with our gifts. And that will be a joy and a pleasure to us as we use what you've given you to collectively build your church. Would that be a joy? And would you help us to become all that we could be, become the full measure of all that Jesus wants us to be? We pray in his name. Amen.